Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors. And we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our great platinum sponsors, including Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Hometown ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. And Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is not only a national leader, but uh, also someone I like to call a good friend. Daryl Nance. Daryl is a certified master athletic administrator. He's the district AD for the Greenville County School District in Greenville, South Carolina. He's also extremely active on the national level. Uh, and among other things, he's the director of the NIAAA's uh, new, in the last couple of years, uh, cohort program, which we're going to be talking about later. But Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be here, Jake. Uh, we've been looking forward to this one for a long time. So as you and I talked about, uh, it's a busy time for ADs. Uh, to our listeners, we're recording this on March 2nd. So uh, spring is here. Um, and Daryl, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and maybe how a love of sports led to this career in uh, athletic administration. Sure, sure. So I actually was born in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, that's where I got my first exposure to, you know, Little League Baseball, uh, Church League Basketball, all that stuff, uh, with my dad as my first coach. And, uh, you know, dad was the Little League Baseball coach that I think every parent would want to have. He's the, you know, if you were left-handed and wanted to play second base, he would say, well, you know, okay, we'll let you try that, but there's probably a better option for you. And he would still teach you how to play the game. And, and that's where I really got my love for sport and for coaching is just playing for my dad to start with. And um, we did where we grew up was outside, actually outside of Greensboro a little bit. It wasn't uh, like uh, little league football available at Pop Warner or something like that around. So I was basically a baseball basketball guy uh, for most of my early life. And that's, you know, that's, that's where we, we grew up. And, and then in the eighth grade, my dad got transferred to South Carolina and we moved to Greenville and I got my first taste of football there. And so, you know, we're kind of old school guys, you know, we played back, at least I played you know, football, basketball, and baseball in high school. You just, yeah. that's you went from one to the next to the next. And, um, but I, you know, I, I went to East side high school here in town and then went to, uh, Appalachian State as a freshman in, in college to play basketball. Uh, was going to walk on. Bobby Crimmins was the head coach at Appalachian oh, wow. at that time. And so I was going to walk on with Bobby. Um, and uh, I, he said, you have to get into school on your own. And once you get there, come to the office. We'll, we'll make sure, you know, we'll, we'll do the workout and 
walk on opportunity and all that. I got into app, no problem. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that summer, Georgia Tech called and hired Bobby Crimmins away from Appalachian State to Georgia Tech. And uh, so I walked into the basketball office the first day of, of uh, school and asked for you know tryout options and, and the weight room schedule and all that stuff. And the assistant coach looked at me, who had become the head coach, and he said, uh, yeah, you were Bobby's boy. I don't need you. We, we don't need any walk-ons this year. And uh, that rapidly transitioned my career goals from a walk-on to figure out how I'm going to stay involved in sport. And uh, I knew at that point, I mean, I knew I wanted to coach. Uh, even when I was in high school, um, I, I, tell, I, t I used to tell my teams this, you know, kids who sit on the bench, they, they always believe they deserve to play and they want to play more. And, and I told my guys, I said, when I was a junior in high school on a really, really good varsity team, we had 14 guys on our varsity team, eight of whom played college basketball. Oh, wow. Um, with with a scholarship, not just a walk, with a scholarship, uh, and I went several weeks without getting on the court as a junior because we had really really good seniors and two Division One sophomores, and uh, as, you know when you go a couple of weeks without getting on the court, you, you understand what sitting means, and I you know I get all that, um, but so how do you stay involved? Uh, you can lose focus, and you're never going to get on the court. And there was time when I was an immature junior and I moved further down the bench and further down the bench. And then I realized that's not doing me anything. And I moved closer to the coaches and I actually sat beside one of the assistant, one of our assistant coaches. And I made a comment about something that was going on during the game. And he kind of looks at me, he's like, what, what do you know about this? And, you know, I just said, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what I see. And um, there was a lot of opportunity for me to learn sitting by those coaches and uh, they actually, my junior, my senior year, I played a bunch, but there were times when I was sitting with the coaches even talking about things we ought to do. Um, and so I knew I wanted to coach. I mean, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't, a, you know, I was, a, I was an average athlete in high school, but I had a love for the game and a love for understanding that game that I knew I wanted to coach. So when I transferred from Appalachian, I transferred back to Furman here in Greenville. And my effort at that point was, Let's, let's, you know, I want to teach. I knew I want to teach high school uh, and I want to coach. So let's make the best of that. And that's what I did. You know, I always love to hear those stories. And, uh, you know, of, of course, they take me back to my own high school days where I spent uh, some time on the bench myself. But uh, I still remember those types of moments, not a lot of them, but, you know, a comment or an interaction to or from a coach. Uh, kind of leads us into, uh, you know, my next talking point is uh, mentors in your life. Uh, I'm going to guess your dad's probably at the top of that list, but um, who are some of the people that uh, you can look back on now as mentors, either, you know, coaches or teachers you had, or maybe people that you worked with or worked for earlier in your career? Uh, right. The expression I always like to use is, I still hear those voices in my head uh, when I'm talking to a kid or a coach. So right. whose voice do you still hear? Yeah. So in addition to dad, obviously, um, my high school basketball coach, uh, who I you know, love dearly, uh, we, we still communicate quite often. Uh, every time that my team would advance in the playoffs over the years when I was still coaching, he would call and say, now, you know, you remember what you got to do. You, got, you know, I mean, he was still still coaching me, even though he had been retired for 20 years. He's still coaching me. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, love him dearly. Um, other people that, you know, 
and this, this is going to sound weird, but, but Coach K uh, at Duke, uh, I got the opportunity to meet Pete Godette, who was an assistant at Duke uh, back in 1985. Uh, when I was working at Furman, I was, I, was doing student, I was a student assistant there at Furman and working in the SID department and all that. And Coach Godette came down to uh, scout a game. That's back when they could still scout live. And I just walked up to him and introduced myself and said, hey, I'm a big Duke fan. Just want to say, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, just, you know, being a kid, right? Trying to talk to somebody. And uh, Coach Gaudette spent a fair amount of time with me. And he said, hey, do you want to, uh, have you been to our coach's clinic? And I said, well, no, sir, I'm, I'm just a student. I'm still a student. And he goes, does that mean you can't come? And I go, well, I, I guess not. He said, write your name down, give me your address. I'll send you an application. You know, didn't think anything about it. A couple of weeks later, I get an application to go to Deuce Coach's Clinic. And I go to the clinic and when I walk in, Coach Gaudette says, hey, Daryl, how are you? Now we'd had one interaction and one mail, but he remembered my name. Uh, after that clinic, he asked me if I would work team camp. And I said, or if I wanted to work their individual camp. And I'm like, I don't even have a job yet. And he goes, that means you can't work? I said, no, sir. I went to work Duke's team, uh, uh, individual camps. And I worked Duke's camps from the summers of 1986 all the way through the summer of 2016. So for 30 years, I went to Duke's uh, camp at least one week during the summer. Many of those summers, I did two weeks. So over that time, I, of course, got to know Coach Godet really well and, and, and Coach K, you know, pretty good. And uh, when I applied for a couple of jobs later on in my career, you know, I always included them as a, as a reference and they, you know, they wrote letters of reference for me. Um, but, you know, it wasn't so much just that it was being able to talk to them during the summer, being able to dig in a little bit about basketball, a little bit about strategy and learning. Um, I mean, those first two summers I worked at Duke, the, the, the nighttime sessions with the coaches of how look, this is how we're going to teach the fundamentals tomorrow in our station. The specificity of detail, you couldn't get it in a book, you couldn't get it anywhere else, but you got it in that coach's room with Coach K and Coach Gaudette, you know, uh, and, and that has led to relationships that I have with, you know, I mean, Tommy Amaker and I are extremely good friends, Mike Bray, Quinn Snyder, I mean, all those guys, you think of all the Duke success from 86 to 16, um, I mean, I was very blessed to get that. And then there are going to be people who are listening to that who are Tar Heel fans and they're going to go, ah, I don't want to hear that guy, you know. Uh, but does, they would have a similar experience if they'd been in Chapel Hill. You know, you just, and, and understanding that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And the right way always includes inviting people into your, into your orbit. And those guys did that for me. And then I would say there's a couple of teachers that I had as, in high school that uh, like a, a seminal moment for me in high school was I had to go up to my AP uh, US history teacher to ask a question about, I was in the model UN club. I mean, I was kind of a, you know, a little bit of an athlete, a little bit of a nerd maybe, but I went to the model UN club and I had to go ask Mr. Knighton a question. And I walked into his room and I didn't see him. He was around the corner in his little study area. And there was a, another teacher there, his name was Chuck Brown. And Mr. Brown and Mr. Knighton are talking about history. Now, they were my two favorite history teachers, and they're talking about history. And I just listened to them for a minute, like, these guys actually believe in this stuff. These guys are not just, you know, holograms in front of the classroom talking to us, but these guys 
are history teachers, historians themselves. And it really opened my eyes to the, the humanity of a teacher. And that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be that, that kind of teacher and that kind of coach that I'd had. Just, uh, just great, great stuff. Uh, I, I love the the stories of how the mentors have impacted people over the years, and it's just a great reminder that we didn't get here on our own. That you know there were other people that have an impact. Those basketball camps, wow! Talk about a master class um, over the years. Uh, right. You know, great, great stuff. Uh, for our listeners, if you don't know, Daryl, uh, as a coach, has quite an impressive uh, you know coaching resume. Uh, we don't have time to go into it too deeply, but talk a little bit about that transition from very, very successful coach into the world of athletic administration. Well, I appreciate the, the I'm not sure how much credit I really get. I had great assistant coaches and great players. And, uh, you know, I, the year we, we won a state championship, we were undefeated that year. And I tell everybody I was a great bus driver. So I drove the bus to all the games and all I had to do was get them there and turn them loose. So I, you know, I didn't do a whole lot. They were, I was a really good bus driver that year. Um, you know, I, I got started coaching very early. I was, I was 26, 25 when I got my first head coach coaching job, I was 20, turned 26, like the day of our first game. And I coached for three years and then became an ADN coach at a small school. And I moved to a different school and become an AD and, and head coach. Did not really understand what had, uh, that I wanted to be an AD early in my career, uh, but did my inter did my master's work, did an internship, and then thought, yeah, this is really this is where you can make an even greater difference. I know I've got my hand on these twelve to fifteen sons of mine that I get to coach every year. You know, my wife and I were blessed with two daughters, and and I love my girls. I'm girl dad. But every year I also got to have 12 to 15 sons that my wife and I adopted to be part of our family. And my, my girls called them brothers and they called my wife, mom and sis. And so, you know, we tried to make a big family deal out of it. But I'd, I'd use that to transition into the athletic director job with, all right, I want to adopt all these coaches too. And I want to, I want to try to figure out how I can best help and serve each one of these coaches and model either a coaching method for them or some type of leadership method for them that'll make their job easier and make them uh, feel as comfortable with their staff and their kids as I do with mine. And I did that for 19 years, uh, actually 23 years in a building, four years in one school and 19 years in another school uh, before I moved into this position. And now at the district level, I've been here six years and it's really not a whole lot different. Uh, I don't have as much hands-on with students uh, and certainly not in the last year with COVID. It's been really hard to get out and, and see things and do things. But my 14, 15 now, I have 15 high school ADs. We, we just opened our 15th school and I have 20 middle school ADs. And if you could see my office behind this screen, there's a chart here with everybody's name. I have their, like their Gallup strengths of who they are and what they are. I have their leadership styles, uh, their, their communication color styles and things like that. So that when I communicate with them, you know, I look at like, okay, this person is this, this, this. okay. So it just reminds me that when I communicate with them, this is the best way to, to move into this 
discussion. Now, some days it's just, hey, I, I need to talk to somebody else. You're okay. You're, I'm good. You're good. Some days there's a problem and you got to deal with it. So it's best to know my style, their style, and how we merge to get the most efficient, you know, the most efficient outcome that we do. And, and really that's been trying to, you know, helping them help their coaches, helping them with their facilities. It's really not a whole lot different when you get right down to it. You still look for a win every day. You know, when you're coaching, you look for that win at the, on the scoreboard. Scoreboard changes. Scoreboard's a lot about the relationship. Scoreboard's about can you help them with a budget item, can, you know, different things like that. Oh, wow. Just, uh, I can't imagine. Um, uh, I have a hard enough time just dealing with my own school. I can't imagine taking on 15 plus the middle no, school. I don't think I asked for enough money when I took the job when I traded one school's problems for 35 school's problems, but I still love my job. So. Yeah, uh, you, you set the bar high. Um, Daryl, one of the things we try to do with the podcast is this idea of share best practices. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you probably, um, you know, hit it on the head um, in your previous conversation there talking about, you know, the, for lack of a better word, the research that you do with your ADs and with your coaches. But um, what are a couple of best practices that you're particularly proud of with Greenville? It, it could be something, an initiative that, you know, you started or, or something that you expanded on, but share with our, our listeners some best practices from a master AD. Well, one of the things that, that I started when I came here six years ago was, was in addition to the athletics challenge that we all face, trying to win and trying to compete and all that, we added an academic component to it as well. So we have <clears throat> what we call, uh, uh, I have to look for a second, drive for excellence, right? So our local 1A uh, professional baseball team is the Greenville Drive. And we have a great partnership with them. They host a number of events for us during the year. And one of the things we talked about was drive, the drive, the drive to succeed, the drive to achieve. And we wanted to drive for excellence in academics as well as athletics. So we do an overall GPA challenge for our athletic departments among the varsity athletes. And so we'll take first semester grades and average them out for the entire uh, athletic department uh, last year's kids, you know, last year's kids, this year's kids, we put them together and come up with the highest GPA among our athletic departments. And then we award the football team with the highest GPA, the baseball team, the girls soccer to every team. So we'll have 22, I think 22 varsity winners, and then we'll have an overall winner. And we use the, we use the weighted GPA and use the rosters of the kids you have. And now we will wait till the spring roster is made to check their first semester grade. So it's, it's the current year. The first year we did it, we had three teams that had over a 4.0 GPA uh, for their entire varsity athletic program. Oh, wow. And, and now, and this is, this will be year six. And last year we got stunted with the COVID of course and all that, but in the first four complete years, we went from three teams to seven teams with a 4.0 GPA. We went from something like 70 individual teams with a 4.0 to 150 teams that have over a 4.0 GPA. Um, our district-wide athletic GPA with over 5,000 varsity athletes is 3.9. Now, 
it's and then we have a traveling trophy. So the tro if you win, you get the trophy and you get to keep it for a year. You got to bring it back and you might get to take it home again. But we've had three schools in the four years have it. Um, and uh, I knew it was going to be I knew it was a success. We post we put these big posters up on the concourse of the baseball game. We do it at one of the home games. All the teams get recognized on the field. Every half inning, there's pictures rotating through the big, you know, scoreboard and all that stuff. But I was standing by the one of the boards, and I'm, these two kids didn't know who I was, but they were soccer kids, and they were from school A, and they were looking down the list, and they're like, oh, man, we didn't win. School B, their rival had won, and they're like, oh, that ain't right. We're going to do this next year. We're going to win next year. And I'm like, I got two teenage boys already worried about next year's GPA so they can win this GPA, you know, win the challenge. And I knew because, you know, kids love to be challenged. They love that competition. Um, and I knew that's when it was going to be a success. So that has been great. The other thing that I would, I would like to hang our hat on here is we, we market ourselves as a G plus school district, graduation plus. So we want every graduate, every kid to graduate. And then we want them to have either dual credit hours in college we want to have a certification in the CAPE program or a military distinction, right? If they've gone through one of our ROTC programs, don't just graduate, let's graduate plus. And we make a big deal of graduation plus. So I was thinking about that a couple of years ago and what is my role in graduation plus? And so I got a couple of my ADs together and brought them in and I said, here's, what I, here's my idea, games plus. We play games. And that's what we get known for. And everybody knows about Friday night and they know about kickoff and tip off and, and, and all that. And they can see the result in the paper the next morning or online the next morning, whatever. But we're so much more than games. As coaches, as leaders of, of these kids, we, we do so much more than games. So let's do games plus. So we started an initiative where we talked about what the profile of our student athletes should be. And we worked on, you know, this is what we think is the, the basic, like these are our defining culture pieces. And then every kid wants to go to the next level, right? So if this is your culture, then this is what gets you to the next level, you know? And then, then what do you have to do to be a lifetime winner? And so we put these characteristics together of how to do that. We printed that and put it in every locker room in our district. And then we got a little index card that has the same words on the front and an explanation of what games plus is and on the back of that card there's like six questions and it's for, for the coach to answer and the kids to answer and it's you know what is my why why am i playing what do i hope to achieve in this you know what, what what is my gift to my team what are my goals what are the team's goals and then we ask them to choose a word from the list whether it's the defining culture list or the next level list or the winning list What's the word that I'm going to attach to my season? And we, and we fill them out. And that kid can, if he's a football player and then goes and wrestles, take that card with you. And you may have to change the words because you might be, you know, you may not be a starter in this and you might be the stud in this sport or, or whatever, right? Take it with them. And the coaches need to do that too. And I encourage the coaches to do this at their parent meeting, to introduce this at the parent meeting and offer a card to the parents. Our parents are not adversaries. They are advocates, but we tend sometimes, coaches can tend to turn an advocate into an adversary by not communicating completely with the parent. And the coach that says, I don't ever talk about 
I don't talk to parents. That's your advocate, man. They're giving you their best. I don't care how much money they have. That's the most valuable resource that parent has. Most valuable thing they have is their child. And they're giving that child to you for an hour and a half, two hours a day. You got to respect that. And so let's teach the parent too, that we're more than games. We're about sportsmanship. We're about ethics. We're about lifelong learning and teamwork and sports, you know, all these different things that we can do that we do that we don't ever talk about. And so those are, I think the two things, the academic piece and the games plus piece are the things that I'm the most proud of. Great, great stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm one of the, um, you know, I guess you'd say co-authors for the new NIAAA parenting course, partnering mm -hmm. with parents. Mm -hmm. I'm stealing that games plus, uh, we just got added a new slide to that. So, okay. <laughs> Thanks You're for welcome sharing. to it. You're welcome to it. Hey, we're, we'll do this at the end, but um, right now, um, if our listeners want to reach out and pick your brain uh, about some of these initiatives, mm -hmm. what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Email is dnance at greenville.k12.sc.us. Uh, office phone, 864-355-3987. And I'm not real good. I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm at CoachNance1. Although I'm not, I'm, I'm still learning the, the social media game. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Well, with all the other things you got going, we'll, we'll cut you some slack on that. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. Um. Talking about NIAAA, um, we have some younger ADs that, that listen to the podcast, and I always like to have our guests share their journey. You know, how did you first get involved with your state association, um, the process of getting your certification, and then we're going to let you elaborate on uh, this uh, cohort venture that you have uh, turned into such a great success. When I, when I got the job at Wade Hampton High School back in 1996, uh, uh, which I came from a private school into the public school, moved back into Greenville. Uh, the athletic director, uh, the, the district athletic director at the time just said, hey, remember, you got to join the SCAAA. And while you're at it, you should join the NIAAA. And I'm like, okay, I, I'll do that. Um, then the AD from my old high school said the same thing. He goes, you know, you, we got to get you involved in the board and, and you got to join the NIAAA. And I'm like, okay. So I joined both groups. Um, and, and really, you know, again, I was a relatively young AD. Uh, I think I was 30 at the time and uh, 30 to 31 at the time. And so I joined and, you know, I go to the SCAAA meetings. At that time, I, I was not able to go to the national conference. But after going to two of the state meetings and I saw the option for, uh, at that time, the CAA was, was really the only option that IAAA had. Uh, and I knew that I was a lifer. I mean, I knew I loved this life and, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to get involved with the SCAAA board. And I got the opportunity to be a 3A representative and got on the board. And then I got to go to my first national conference in Orlando. And I can remember we did not stay on property. My, I, we took the family and we stayed somewhere else and I had to get dropped off for the meetings. And so I, I can remember that it, like one of the meetings was at three and it said it would be over at 350. I told my wife, I said, well, but just pick me up at 430 because you know how things run long and just pick me up at 430. Well, the meeting was over at 350 and I waited 40 minutes or so for her to pick me up. And the next day it was over at 350. And I said, well, why don't you come by 415? And the next day 
it, and it was over at 350. And so the next day when she said, what time do you need me to pick up? I said, 351. Because this group starts on time and ends on time. I've never seen anybody this professional. And I knew then I was getting my CAA and I got the CAA in 99. Uh, as soon as the CMAA became available, I started working towards that and got my CMAA, uh, which is part of my nature. I want to, I want to try to I'm going to achieve. I want to. I want to go. I want to get better. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner, um, and so that that occurred. But I also got involved with on the board. I started teaching LTI classes, and when it just so happened in uh, 2008, it was South Carolina's turn to have a representative from Section Three on the NIAAA board, and I ran for that position. And I was able, fortunate enough to win the nomination from our board and was then uh, got to be on the NIAAA uh, board of directors in 2008. Um, then, you know, you, you're on the board, you want to run for president. And I ran for president and I was stunned when I called my name. I could, you know, you're on the board, you're taking notes and I'm trying to write everything down. And they said, the winner of the president elect is, and they said my name, I couldn't even write my name down on the, on the sheet and my hands was shaking so bad. And I had forgotten to bring my cell phone to the meeting so that when we took a break, and this was in San Diego, my wife wasn't with me, I was going to call her and tell her I didn't even have my cell phone, I had to borrow somebody else's phone. You know, it was just one of those things. But it, I would say it was, uh, it's just one of those things that got in your system. You know, I mean, you go to the national conference and you look around and, and you, you go to the luncheon and you see the citation winners and you go to the uh, banquet and you see the DSA winners and the Kovaleski winner and, and all those, you know, the, 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 those awards. And now we have the Hall of Fame. And I, I just remember sitting there at one of the banquets thinking, man, I want to be one of those guys, right? I want to be one of those, not to win an award, you know, not to, but look at how much they have done look at the service they have provided to their school their state their county whatever i want to be one of those guys and i that became my goal was okay how do i in order to do that i have to get better i have to get better i have to be more disciplined about the things that i do i have to um you know i have to provide better service to others and to to my team my coaches my community and you have to have a broader outlook you know, I think so many ADs are in a silo, right? It's, it's me and my team and my school, and and I, I don't want anybody. To, you're not going to get any better in your silo. You got to have that global vision, a broader vision to figure out who can I bring in to help me. How can I help others? That's when you really get better. You know, it's one of the things that we talk about in the cohort. The more I share, the more I have. Right? The more you share, the more you have. Um, and so that's kind of that. That's my story. I got involved in it. I will, I will forever be grateful to the gentleman who recommended I get in there. I'll be forever grateful to the leadership of SCAAA and NIAAA for what they provided me. And it, I've been president of both groups. I was fortunate enough to win that presidency in 2010. Um, I mean, nothing compares to, you know, that type of professionalism and support and growth you can, you can achieve through groups like that. Well, just uh, I knew bits and pieces of that story, but really, really cool. Um, and it's uh, it reminded me of my own journey. You know, I got started 
in our state national organization much later. You know, I was a coach and an AD, but uh, I think I was pretty much in my silo. And then when I was hired as the athletic director at another school in 2008, uh, just by chance, our state association was offering um, 501 mm-hmm. at the summer compliance. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take this. And, uh, you know, Dan Como, who's still on our okay. state board of directors, was a teacher right. and just sucked me in completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took the other courses that fall online, flew to Dallas and uh, had my first conference and took the CA exam. And just, uh, you know, as you know, I've been involved uh, sure. you know, for the last 12 years. So uh, well, and, absolutely, and the, um, yeah. the professionalism of this organization, mm-hmm. the sharing, the mentoring, the networking, uh, you know, coaches, you know, I think we tend to keep things to ourselves. ADs can't wait to share. And right. you know, that was something right. that I noticed right away. Um, that's, and that's really the genesis. Oh, go ahead. That's really the genesis of the cohort mm-hmm. was, you know, we take these four hour LTI courses and they're all phenomenal, but they, you can't learn leadership in four hours. You can learn elements of, you can, you can practice some some bits and pieces of, but you can't really learn leadership in four hours. And I just mentioned to, to Bruce Whitehead at a section three meeting down in Atlanta one time, said I'd really like to do something a little broader and have a deeper study and, and maybe look at it as something that's a year long. And, and you know, Bruce Whitehead being the mentor to me and, and I'm sure to you as well, that he was and to thousands of ADs across the country. Bruce just looked at me and he said, then do it, develop it. And, you know, I, I thought, well, okay, well, you have to write a book and you have to do the course and you have to do the, <clears throat> well, I learned really quickly. I'm, 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 I'm okay at talking. I'm not a very good writer. You know, writing is a totally different skill set to, to do. So it took me months to come up with an outline and, um, you know, I, like bullet points to create chapters and things like that. And I started writing it to, I'm going to say, over a year, and I actually wrote three chapters and sent it to a friend and said, read this and see what you think, to a young AD. And young AD said, not going to do me any good. I was offended. I had 20 years of experience, and you have none, and you're, I doesn't do you any good. But the, the element that was missing was this person said, look, I'm younger. I've, all my learning's online. All my stuff's, you know, we're, we're pop, pop, popping around. And I thought, yeah, book's not the answer. Uh, online options give you much more flexibility and a cohort concept gives you much more flexibility to do, to do this. So I think the cohort was always there in my mind, but it was not, it was not like we do now, like the zoom concept. And so it really caused me to flip everything and sat down with my wife. And one day we just kind of started writing this out. All right, this is, we'll do a, we'll do like an assignment each month. And, and what we'll hope is that January will build on February and March will build on that. And we just build through the course of the year where by the end of the year, we have a lot of experiences in, in, in leadership growth and personal growth. But then the cohort shares among themselves so much that it just exponentially uh, you know, kind of blows it up. And that, you know, you were part of the, the very first cohort. Uh, your name is signed on that first uh, pennant. With, with that group that, that went through and gave us, you know, a, a really a, a strong foundation 
But like anything the NIAAA does and anybody who's really trying to get better, in addition to all the effort and sweat equity that was put into it was the evaluation of it. And this is good, but this would be better. And we now we're in year three of the cohort. We have, uh, you know, it's changed each year. It's, it's improved each year because of the evaluation we get. We have more people in it this year. We have a new cohort in addition to the executive leadership cohort. We have now a mentor cohort and uh, we are growing that group and we grow the mentors and uh, each, each member of the cohort has a mentor that they stay with throughout the course of the year that helps them along the path. And uh, it has really been phenomenal to see the growth. It, it has been a blessing, I think, to a lot of people. It certainly exceeded my expectation because I'm just uh, I, I'm just an average guy with, with trying to do my best. I'm just I, I'm trying to do my best and help people out, and, and I need people to help me out every day. You know, so that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and, and again, uh, thank you uh, for that hard work and developing it, and and thanks for letting me be a part of that first one. You know, it, it's still it it might not be the single best thing I've ever done from professional development, but if it's not 1A, it's it's 1B. I mean, just mm -hmm. the individuals that were involved um, in that first one, and actually in late, later ones that reach out to me, you know, I communicate with one of them easily every single week. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still that exchange of ideas, those best practices that we talk right. about, right. and it's just been great to see it uh, continue to grow. We've had some people from Florida um, that have been involved, and, and uh, you know, hey, Jake, you know, you were right. The cohort is great, so right. uh, so, so very cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. what, uh, what do you see the next uh, incarnation or the next branch uh, of the cohort experience being, or is mm -hmm. that too... Too much pressure to put on you. No, we've we've begun to uh, look at other, you know, other um, iterations of it. I, I guess. I mean, we can. One of the things we've looked at is doing maybe mini uh, cohorts, uh, a mini module that may only be three months long or six months long. Uh, and and the concept there would be looking to maybe group a couple of the LTI classes together. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, well, I mean, legal's an easy one. There's four legals, right? Uh, maybe do a, a mini cohort on legal updates. Uh, certainly we get Lee Green involved and people like, the, you know, that, that are involved in that. Um, they're, they're the ones that are on student act, you know, the, the, the more focused on students, uh, we could do one on that. I think the, the, the courses that you're dealing with, uh, the new 706 and then, uh, you know, with, with, uh, um, coaching coaches and, and in parent engagement. I think there's a, an opportunity there to develop, uh, to pair with uh, some LTI courses and, and grow a cohort out of that. Uh, certainly we're looking at other options for cohorts. Uh, I mean, we've had some suggestions of doing a middle school based cohort, um, which I think has great appeal because and frankly, middle school coaches are really, really important and they don't oftentimes get the credit that they they need and, and and middle schools oftentimes don't have the uh, finances to provide professional development uh, to, to a level that that would really help them out. So maybe we can do something like that. So, uh, I mean, I think all ideas are on the table, um, you know, and, and as I told uh, Bruce and, and Mike when it started and now Mike and Phil, um, 
you know, it, I, I just had the idea, but it's the NIAAA's um, product now. Let's take it wherever it needs to go. You know, let's meet the needs of the of the body. I, I think those are some great suggestions. Uh, so you know, keep us updated on those. Um, we're coming up on one year of uh, COVID uh, mm -hmm. impacting uh, everyone, but obviously athletic departments as well. So I've been asking our ADs, you know, um, what's going on in your state, in your district, not just with return to play, but also with return to school academics. So what's happening in South Carolina right now? All right. Well, we, uh, we had a delayed fall for athletics for football. Uh, we, we started, uh, I think we played a seven game schedule as opposed to a 10 game schedule. Uh, eliminated the first week of the playoffs and built in a buffer week there. And then if you went to the playoffs, great. If you didn't go to the playoffs, you could add a, an extra eight game. Um, but all the other fall sports had a full season. Football was the only one that was, was, was paused a little bit. Basketball and wrestling, the winter, those are our only two sports in the winter. Uh, state championships for team wrestling were held um, – Two weekends ago, uh, individual state championships are this weekend. We've gotten through all that. Uh, tonight is the last semifinal in basketball. Our basketball state championships will be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We've gotten a full season in. Now, you know, some teams have obviously been quarantined and <clears throat> lost a game or two uh, throughout the season. I think the fewest number of football games one of our schools played was four. Uh, they got hit with COVID twice and had to shut down two different quarantine times. Um, but, uh, you know, we got, we've got fall and winter in, we are three weeks into spring practice now. And, uh, you know, the issues we've had are, are, you know, like anything else, every time a new season starts, we'll see a little bit of a bloom of COVID positives because a new group of kids are together, a new germ pod gets together and, um, and, and all, but I did our numbers the other day. We had, um, about 75 COVID positives in the fall. We had more than that in the winter indoors with basketball and some wrestling. Although basketball was worse than wrestling, we had more basketball teams quarantined than wrestling. Oh, wow. And in the first three weeks of spring, we've had 19 positive athletes that have caused 99 kids and five teams to be quarantined. But they haven't lost any games yet. They've lost practice time and they lost the option for an opportunity for scrimmage. They haven't lost any games yet. But when you look at that number, you say, well, man, 19 and 99, that's a lot. We have 3,400 spring sports athletes. And, and you figure 3,400 times the number of opportunities for them to engage in practice and days and things like that. It's, you know, any infection's bad. In the grand scheme of things, the percentage is really, really low. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, yeah. it's really, really low. So we... You know, we had 75 positives out of 4,000 fall sports athletes. We had 90, uh, we had, I forget how many it was in the, in, the, in the winter. It was like 84 in the winter out of almost 1,200 athletes indoors. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think all of our protocols have been remarkably well. Uh, you know, we've handled them well. Um, uh, you know, the coaches have done a great job staying masked and staying distanced and all the different things that we asked them to do. School-wise, we started back in August, um, two, two days a week. Um, then we transitioned to 
five days, well, five days a week, K-5 through eight, went five days a week, uh, coming back in January. They were four days a week uh, through December. When we came back in January, they went five days a week. Our high schools are now back to four days a week. Uh, they get one day off by color group. They're divided into four colors and one week they're off one day and, and, and they do the e-learning those days, just trying to keep the numbers down in our school. But it, you know, our protocol, we've got plexiglass. We spent, uh, I don't know how many millions of dollars on plexiglass and all the desks and the teachers and masks and hand sanitizer and backpack sprayers and all those things. Um, and then there was never an issue of whether we were going to spend the money. It was just spend the money to make it safe for the kids. And kids need to be in school. And the thing that we learned in March and April, May last year that I, I thought was a great, it was great to have to learn this. I wish you wouldn't have to get sick to learn it, but we had to learn it is that, that technology and online learning is not the answer for every kid. You know, it's not, I mean, technology is great, but it's not the answer. You still need face-to-face. -face. You still need personal engagement. And teachers were forced to learn technology, which was good because there were some folks who needed to learn technology, need to modernize their, their lesson plans. Teachers learned they had to do that, but teachers also got that heartfelt lesson again of teachers need kids. And kids and parents who thought, ah, we can do this ourselves, they realized, no, they need teachers. And so while it was a difficult time to go through, I think it was a learning thing that we all needed to remind each other that we need the face-to-face -face and teachers need kids and coaches need kids and kids need teachers and coaches. And parents understood the value that we provide. You know, when they had to, when they had to transition to doing it themselves really quickly, you know. Oh, yeah. Was there ever a group more grateful uh, when we returned than parents right. uh, to, yep. you know, in-person school and practices and things like that? No, absolutely. Right. Hey, I I'm curious. I was talking to another AD about the whole wrestling and basketball thing, and they had some similar numbers. Um, and I know you and I are not medical doctors or epidemiologists, but what what's your gut feeling? You know, why did wrestling which I think people would assume would have more um, cases. Uh, why do you think it was less? I think of all the teams we have, wrestling was the most prepared for something like this. You know, because they deal with you know different skin infections and have historically dealt with you know different things. They have to sanitize their mats more. They, I think, they were more prepared for it. And then what a lot of our schools did was put like a couple of kids together in a pod. Like just these two weight classes will work together and these two classes will work together. And they, they separated themselves even within their own wrestling rooms and the gymnasiums. Um, but I think they actually were more prepared for this than anybody else. Where we had issues, um, and we, we've seen this already with spring. You had, first thing you have is uh, you start spring practice on February 1st and you have the Super Bowl and then a long weekend. Well, there's two opportunities for kids to get together with family and other people, parties and whatnot. With, with the winter, you had Thanksgiving, you had Christmas, you had tournaments, you had MLK Day, you had long weekends in there already. A couple of the basketball situations we dealt with were, we only have nine to practice today because some of our kids were on vacation or whatever. Oh, here's this alumnus that came back from college and dropped by. Why don't you come and practice with us? bang, one of them was, was positive, the, the, you know, and the whole team's out. 
or we had groups putting a ninth grade team in with a JV team and you wind up spilling the gym up and cross-contaminating. And that's where wrestling didn't do that. They were more isolated in their gym and among themselves in their gym and better, took better you know, precautions with sanitation. I'll unmute myself uh, here. <laughs> There we go. Okay. I am a professional. Uh, that sounds like some best practices right there. Uh, if that's not already in the handbook, I think it needs to be. Um, Daryl, this has been great catching up with you. And I, I really do. Uh, I want the record to reflect. I miss those uh, uh, connections with our cohort group. Uh, you need to have a, you know, bring in a, uh, an alumni uh, every once in a while just Absolutely. so I can, uh, you know, stay involved. But uh we're not done yet. Okay. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Mm -hmm. uh, we certainly established that you are in fact uh, a master athletic administrator. So right now I'm going to task you with mm -hmm. sending out a brand new AD on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What mm -hmm. three items are going to go in Daryl Nance's athletic director toolbox? Three's tough. You know, three's tough, but there's power in three, right? The first thing I'm going to say is you got to know yourself, right? You got to know yourself as a leader, as a communicator, as your core values. So, you know, one of the things we talk about with the cohort is know your strengths, right? Know your strengths. And the number of people who are in leadership positions who have never taken a, a leadership survey, don't know themselves as a leader, communicator, they just know they want to be the guy with the most keys or the, the, you know, the person who occupies the office. And No, no, no. You need to know yourself. So the first thing I talk to our, our young ADs, our new ADs is you got to know yourself as a leader, as a communicator and your core values, because your core values tends to make the answers easy. You know, you're not going to deviate from your core values. Somebody asks you the question, you know what your core values are. You know how to answer the questions typically, right? So that's number one is you got to know yourself. So invest in yourself, take that survey, know what you're doing. Number two, I would say is you got to journal. You got to journal and you got to document, right? So um, as a new AD, you start, you need to like journal your day, journal what's going on, document some of the conversations you have um, so that you, you know where you are. I mean, memory is great but the written word is always going to be a little stronger than your memory. And so one of the things I, I really talk to them about is journal your days, um, make sure you document why you made your decisions, make sure you document some of those communications because you can look back at that and say, you know, yeah, I have been consistent. I have followed my, the, the path that I want to, I have stayed true to the vision of our state, our department, our school, whatever, to, you know, so I really think that that is, that is really, really important to journal and document what you're doing. And the third thing, and it's probably gonna be funny, but I, I always tell the, the new AD is the budget is the budget and the budget has no friends, right? I mean, you as a new AD, when you go in, your buddy coaches are gonna come in, hey, I need to do this, I need this, I need this. And, and you know, everybody's got the want list and the wish list and the needs list and that. The budget is the budget. It doesn't have a friend. So if you don't know how to budget, you better figure out really quickly how to budget. And the NIAAA has got a great budget class for you for that, right? 
but the budget is the budget and and the and budget also has a second tier to it because when you say budget most people think you're just talking about money right and that's that is a typical answer the budget is the budget it's money but budget is also your time right your time like you you have no idea if you're not an ad you have no idea how much time the telephone takes out of your day every day how much time email takes out of your day every day and you only have a certain budget of time right and part of that budgeted time has got to be for your family. You cannot forget your family. So you budget dollars. Yes, we budget dollars all through the system, but we also have to budget our time. Um, you know, I've had coaches, when I took this job, I had one of my ADs called me, oh, I mean, he called me every day, which, which is good, right? Every day, but every day and every day and every day. And I finally told him, I said, hey dude, I'm the district's AD. I'm not just your AD. I'm gonna have to put you on a budget of time, um, which you know we never did, but it was just fun to say, you know, rag him a little bit about that day. So budget is is both dollars and time, and you and sometimes you have to be patient with with you know today I don't have time for that. And today we don't have dollars for that, um, but it's incredibly important that ADs, young ADs, do not forget their families. When I interview, I ask them, do you have any idea what this is going to do to your family? You realize that at this school that you're applying last year, they had, and I'll know the answer because I'll look at the, they had 108 home events where the lights were turned on. Now you got 180 days of school and then weekends in there, but you had 108 nights where the lights were turned on. That means you're probably there 100, well, 108 for most of us, we'd have been there, right? Which means a lot of hot dogs, a lot of popcorn, a lot of pizza, and maybe not tucking the kids in. Or the kids are gonna come up and eat hot dogs and popcorn and pizza. You've got to budget your time as, as valuably as you budget your dollars. I still, uh, um, I, I still remember our strengths inventory that we did with the cohort and probably one of the best things that I ever did for myself, as well as I was able to take that theme back to our coaches and uh, start looking at their strengths rather than trying to improve their weaknesses mm -hmm. or their challenges. So mm -hmm. uh, great, great stuff. And that's going to lead me to uh, once again, Daryl, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, okay, uh, what's the best way that they can get a hold of, uh, um, get a hold of you? All right. So my email is dnance. Uh, at greenville.k12.sc.us. Uh, I have an office phone, 864-355-3987. And Twitter, I'm at Coach Nance one Daryl Nance, thank you so much uh, for being a guest and uh, all the best uh, as you continue into the spring with uh, Greenville Schools. Great. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for the opportunity and appreciate what you're doing with the Educational AD Podcast. Yeah, thank you, sir. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, to our listeners, remember the Zoom recordings of these interviews are being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational AD YouTube channel. And uh, until next time, thanks for tuning in. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD. Hey. Hi, you too. Bye.